Not only is it a sexual pleasure nerve pathway, but it also produces a parasympathetic response in the body. It resets the nervous system from fight or flight or sympathetic nervous system response into rest and digest or feed and breathe as they call it. So the more relaxed we are, the more arousal we can feel in our body. And if we need to reset our nervous system, especially around triggers from the past, numbness and sexual trauma, activating it can support the nervous system in repatterning. Today's guest is an expert on the lived experience of neuroplasticity, specifically within the nerve pathways that your body uses to experience pleasure. This episode may not be suited for sensitive ears as my guest and I cover topics such as trauma and sexuality. In today's episode of Talk Nerdy to Me, I'm speaking with Lauren Harkness on expanding your body's capacity to feel pleasure, the four sexual nerve pathways, and how they can change. We're also going to be talking about the role of the vagus nerve in healing trauma and what exactly tantric embodiment practices are. Lauren is the co-founder of the Tantra Institute, where she leads workshops, offers one-on-one coaching, and facilitates trauma release. Lauren is also the teacher that I personally turned to after experiencing sexual trauma earlier this year. And not only did she help me move from a state of freeze into having the same capacity to feel that I did before that trauma, but she also helped me expand my body's potential to feel pleasure entirely. This conversation with Lauren is definitely an amalgamation of science, sexuality, and spirituality. So you're going to want to grab a notebook and a pen, get yourself really cozy as Lauren and I both are, and get ready for Lauren to talk nerdy to me. Lauren, thank you so much for joining me today and talking nerdy to me. You have been one of the most embodied practitioners of neuroplasticity, which is one of the big reasons why I wanted to have you on as one of the very first guests here is because this entire show is about the embodied and real world applications of neuroscience. And, you know, while I'll be bringing in all of the super, super nerdy neuroscientific talk, I don't think there's anyone else on planet Earth who walks the walk more than you do and more than what you teach. So before we get into all of the, you know, questions about nerve pathways and all of that fun stuff, I was wondering if you could give listeners your backstory, because I know that for me, hearing that was super, super moving and one of the very first things that drew me to your work in the first place. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I'm so excited to talk about this because I love the intersection of science and sexuality so much. So this is going to be so fun. (laughs) Yes. So my history is that in a nutshell, I couldn't orgasm with people. So I had sexual trauma in my background and I was learning in this culture, as we all do, um, from religious beliefs as well as school, how not to be embodied really, because the messaging was, you know, don't have sex or you'll die or, you know, don't have sex or you'll get pregnant. And there was no mention of pleasure And I really kind of approached my sexuality. I had all this sexual energy and it kind of was a detriment in my life because I was either hypersexual and not feeling anything below my head or I was kind of shut down and like pushing everything away. And so I kind of vacillated between these two areas just depending on 
what was going on in my love life. And I, I know that like I was seeking outside of myself as many of my students who come to me now, you know, express because we're really not taught how to own our sexuality as women and how to be embodied, how this is like positive life force energy. So around 27, I, I just hit a breaking point. Like I felt broken. I felt like other people knew what they were doing in romance and sexuality. And I, I felt like I was the outlier that had no idea what I was doing. And I had all this sexual creative energy, but I was numb from like the, the, the neck down. And so I took it upon myself. Like I knew, I, I knew there was something that I didn't know that I needed to know. There was kind of that like scratch of curiosity, exploration, hunger, you know, a feeling of I've had enough of this and I, I need something different. And so I started studying with various personal growth teachers, including Mama Gina. And I found a book that describes this practice that, you know, we do in, in my programs called peaking, which is a clitoris stroking practice. And it originated from Moore University in California in the 60s in a commune um, where the story goes that the founder of this practice, his wife couldn't have sex with him because he was too large and she was very petite. And so they needed to find another way to connect. And so him and his entire commune started practicing female orgasm and following the flows of female orgasm in the body of waves of arousal. And they did, uh, they said stroking for women and stroking for men. And um, they have huge bodies of knowledge now because of what we're talking about, neuroplasticity. So I was reading this book at 27 and I made myself a soundtrack of Paula Cole's Feeling Good. <laughs> um, and I did the practice and I started practicing a lot. And one day, and I worked through a lot of numbness to get to this place, but one day I just, I had a four minute orgasm and it was unlike anything I had ever experienced before. And it's not a huge climax like you might expect. It's like these rolling waves and it comes from following the flows of arousal in the body. And it woke me up. It woke me up and I kept practicing. And then pretty soon when I would be making love with someone, I could orgasm without them even moving inside me. Like my, my body became so sensitive and it birthed this idea. Um, you've heard me talk about an erotic sovereignty of erotic sovereignty. It was like a mind shift where I discovered, oh, I always thought sexuality was outside of myself. Like it was my partner's job to know what I liked, or I couldn't ask for anything. I didn't even feel enough in my body to know what to ask for, but there was, a feeling of externalization. And this woke me up to the fact that my body is an instrument. And if I want to make beautiful music with whomever I want to choose to make music with, like I have to practice my skills. I have to know my body. I, I can expand my pleasure capacity. And the, the more interesting thing to note, which I think will be applicable for your show, is that I became sensitive inside my vagina from having my clitoris stroked. And there's four neural pathways where sexual energy runs in the body. And the pedendal nerve is nerve network is for the clitoris and the pelvic nerve is inside. And what I believe was happening was that my nerve pathways were growing. They were growing into each other and they were 
um, increasing. And so my sensitivity increased. And not only did my sensitivity increase in my, in my clitoris, but also inside of my vaginal canal. And then I started having these really deep internal orgasms. That is amazing. Thank you so, so much for sharing. I've been trying to articulate to friends who are curious what exactly this process entails. And the the best way I can explain it, the best way I can explain peaking or give an analogy or give an equivalent comes from my background teaching meditation and mindfulness practices and teaching yoga for 10 years. And in yoga, you know, I'll often say to my students, look down at your toes, stretch your toes apart. And for many people, when they're very disconnected from their bodies for a very long time, there will be this experience of looking down at the toes and saying, okay, toes stretch apart, toes stretch apart, toes stretch apart. And nothing happens because we've lost the connection between brain, motor cortex, somatosensory cortex, and the ability to feel, so the ability to perceive sensory information from our feet, as well as the ability to move. And I think so much of what I personally was able to experience through erotic sovereignty, through the peaking practice, and so much of what you teach is this this reconnection. And something I want to highlight in what you shared is that for myself and a lot of women, there's a tremendous amount of of numbness to be worked through in order to access felt sensation and eventually pleasurable sensation again. I don't know if I mentioned this in any of the time that I spent in your programs, but one of the big reasons why I enrolled in erotic sovereignty in the first place, which I think is ironic because about a month before that round of erotic sovereignty began, I experienced sexual trauma. And one of my biggest fears was that I would get stuck in a free state and stuck in numbness and lose my capacity to feel and lose my capacity to feel pleasure. And going into erotic sovereignty, I didn't have super high expectations, or at the very least, I thought, you know, it may take me a while before I'm able to really get back into my body again. And I and I think it's it's helpful to go into any program having little little expectations, but I was shocked at how quickly, you know, not only how quickly I was able to go from being numb to feeling, but feeling significantly more than I had ever felt even before the traumatic experience. And I feel so grateful to you for that. And I was curious if you could share a little bit about why we we go into a state of numb when we experience trauma. Yes, absolutely. And first of all, I would just like to say like that makes me so happy. You know, the biggest part of my work is like wanting to support other women and knowing what's possible. There is no ceiling of pleasure. And so when someone like takes the material and like practices and has big breakthroughs like you just expressed, oh, it makes me so happy. So congratulations. That's wonderful. And I also commend you for like having the wherewithal and the self-awareness to know like this could be bad if I'm not proactive about staying open to feeling because it is so easy to shut down. It's actually our nervous systems and the habits that get developed. So in from my explorations in my own body and from working with other women, stuck energy in the body feels like numbness, shards of glass, dull pain, sharp pain, tension. And numbness, I think, is one of the most tricky because you could say numbness is no feeling. 
but numbness actually is a feeling that's covering up an emotion or a memory or the way our nervous system has patterned around closing down, you know, and numbness often feels like kind of a rubbery, like there's, there's something there, but it's under a lot of skin. It feels like, like rubber. So um, I studied with Peter Levine, um, who's the creator of Somatic Experiencing, and I love how he describes why our bodies hold trauma. Um, and he describes animals in the wild, they don't really store trauma because they have a natural discharge. They will go into fight or flight, and then their body will kind of complete the wave. It'll complete the cycle of the trauma. And it's kind of like a child throwing a temper tantrum and like throwing themselves on the ground and then getting up a few minutes later happy, they've allowed themselves to complete the wave of the experience. And the nervous system wants to reset on its own. Our bodies actually move towards healing. And it's abnormal when we have a traumatic experience. What often happens, especially as we watch our parents and we have mirror neurons and we watch the adults around us have their own expressions of the sympathetic nervous system response, which is fight, flight, freeze, fawn, or faint. And freezing is very common because I kind of describe it like a wave. An emotion is a wave. An orgasm is many waves. And trauma can be a wave. And often our nervous system emotionally gets geared up and it goes into fight or flight when a traumatic experience happens. And at the top of the wave is like the most intense sensation, kind of like when you're riding a surfboard. It can be exhilarating or it can be terrifying. And in that point of most sensation, often our nervous system kicks in and freezes around it. And then it locks in the body. And then whenever someone is triggered again, their emotional state goes back up to that really intense, I don't know if this is ever going to change kind of feeling. And a lot of people describe it like out of bounds for what's actually happening in reality. If I'm so emotional or I'm frozen and I can't speak and it was a, a trigger that wasn't that intensity, then you're having a trauma response and it's normal. I think our bodies are brilliant. Our nervous system is flooded with so much information and so much intensity and so you know, many emotions in that moment that our little selves wouldn't know what to do with it. And so you develop defense mechanisms. You develop fawning. Fawning is people-pleasing. Or if a boundary is transgressed, you go into taking care of the other person. You know, freeze is often a, an immobilized state, often without voice, and it's very scary. So that's why it happens and why erotic energy is so good at healing is that it, in a sense and what I share and what I teach is we want to marry the trauma response or the triggered state with eros with your orgasmic energy because orgasm is change energy it's life force energy it's creative energy and we can use it like fuel in the fire to help our bodies transform and clear out those free states or the numbness or um, the emotionality. And sometimes it comes with discomfort. A lot of times women will come into peaking practice and there will be tears that need to be expressed under the numbness or under the freeze response. Absolutely. I know that for me, you know, there was so much grief underneath it and so much sadness. And 
such an unbelievable amount of rage that I, you know, more than I had ever felt in my life. And the practice for me was being able to have the the capacity to be with the intensity of emotion and let it move through me without locking up around it or trying to shut it down or suppress it or repress it because I grew up in a household where big emotion was never allowed. You know, I was never allowed to be angry at my brothers or my sisters or my parents. I was never allowed to like scream or really emote in that way. And yeah, this practice gave me such a a heightened ability to feel and also to let it pass and to experience its impermanence and to experience how temporary it is. And it is very, for me at least, it's such a meditative experience because I have a background in sitting for, you know, like hours on end in a very austere way, bearing witness to the physical discomfort that comes up from, you know, having your legs folded underneath you for such a long time or the emotional experience of boredom or the emotional experience of like restlessness. But there's something so different about this practice where you're being almost intentionally stirring up very intense sensation in one way or the other. And something that you teach on that I reflect on all the time in my everyday life is that when we give ourselves permission to go into the depths of the more unpleasant emotions, we also give ourselves the opportunity to move to the other end of the pendulum and feel heightened states of ecstasy and bliss and joy and Eventually, there's pleasure to be found in all of it purely in our capacity to feel. And I think it's such a gift, you know, what you're teaching and what you're doing. I want to backtrack just a little bit because you mentioned the four different nerve pathways earlier. And I was wondering if you could break down each of those four because I know that they're going to be super, super fascinating to listeners. Absolutely. I'd be happy to. Okay, so there are four nerve pathways where sexual energy runs in the body. The hypogastric nerve runs up the anus through the spinal column into the brain. The pelvic nerve is in the G-spot or in the shaft of the penis in men. And the pedendal nerve is the clitoral nerve network and also the, the glands of the penis. And it's slightly reductive because, as I mentioned earlier, they combine, you know, so you could touch the vagus nerve, which is the fourth nerve pathway, through the anus to as you're stimulating the cervix. So they are they do intersect, but those are the general locations for them. And then the fourth nerve pathway is the vagus nerve, and it's a very special nerve pathway. I loved learning about it because it made so much sense in that healing component that we were talking about of how the nerve system can reset by honing the sexual energy and moving it through the body. The vagus nerve starts in the pelvis and it then kind of wraps around and comes up the front side of the body. It's called the wandering nerve and it has two trunks and then various nerve pathways off of it. And they go into um, the major nerve plexuses and a lot of the organs in the human body. It runs up the front side of the body through the nipples, through the throat and into the brain behind the ears. And it has a very special function because not only is it a sexual pleasure nerve pathway, but it also produces a parasympathetic response in the body. 
And there are many ways to activate the vagus nerve. You can Google vagal toning and you will have a plethora of ideas of how you can activate this nerve pathway. So it resets the nervous system from fight or flight or sympathetic nervous system response into rest and digest or feed and breed as they call it. So the more relaxed we are, the more arousal we can feel in our body. And if we need to reset our nervous system, especially around triggers from the past, numbness, et cetera, and sexual trauma, activating it can support the nervous system in repatterning and in letting go of that trauma or blocked energy. So in tantric practice, we often are sounding and we're doing breath work at the same time as we're moving our sexual energy. And that is one way to kind of hook into the the pleasure and the arousal of the vagus nerve and allow it to move through the body. So sounding not performative. And that's one of the big healing gifts of, I think, erotic sovereignty for women is coming into the throat chakra and, and finding that true sexual expression often sounds different than what you might see on a porn. You know, it's often like guttural or high pitched or loud or very quiet and breathy and it and it doesn't sound like sexy necessarily it sounds real and so making those sounds can activate more pleasure in your body and it can support the resetting of the nervous system for me that piece was huge because even before i had experienced trauma i was always super super quiet so being able to sound at first was really distracting for me because I had gotten so used to like, okay, Alex, be quiet, focus, because I can go up in my head so easily. So for such a long time, I would approach it from this very, again, meditative, but not an embodied meditative way, which we can talk about in a moment, because I think that that's, again, one of the gifts of Tantra is that it brings you all the way down into your body. But for me, almost this head down, top down approach of don't sound, just focus, then you'll be able to have an orgasm. And so vocalizing and giving my body permission to make sounds was actually super, super uncomfortable for me at first. And in the beginning, at least with partners, I felt like I was having orgasms less because there was this moment of retraining and relearning what it meant to experience and feel pleasure and to go from this place of almost like willing my body into it to letting it naturally unfold. And it for me, it feels like this very animalistic, messy thing. Like I'm such a control freak in every other aspect of my life that allowing my body to make these, you know, guttural, not traditionally cute sounds was really, really uncomfortable. And I think such an imperative part of my healing and my ability to expand beyond what I had ever experienced before and to have those orgasms that are rolling more gentle rather than these cute little sneezes that are like there for a moment and then they're gone. So yeah, it was such a big part of of my own healing healing and feeling process. I want to break down what Tantra is as well, because I think that it's this very kind of taboo topic within the world of mindfulness and healing. And 
you know, my meditative background actually originated in a tantric school and a tantric lineage. And so my understanding of Tantra before being introduced to sexual practices was breaking down the word Tantra, tan meaning to expand and then ta meaning to weave. So this expansion of consciousness and the ability to weave it into every aspect of our everyday lives as householders. What I was taught was if you're not able to be a celibate monk up in the Himalayas, which most of us aren't, then Tantra is the path of householder devotion. So bringing God into every single aspect of our daily lives from cooking to cleaning to our marital duties. And yet that original school, that original lineage would never actually get into sex and sexuality, which I think is ironic because it's also the area where so many people have the most shame and trauma and are the most stuck and where there is the biggest potential for healing too. So I was wondering if you could share, you know, what is Tantra, which I know is a, a big, a big question. <laughs> it really is like a big, giant question. Um, first, I like to back up just a tiny bit because I think you touched upon something really important. Often in the process of awakening, it can be uncomfortable and messy because there is that relearning piece. I also had that when I first started learning the breath work in Tantra, my orgasms were like, way less intense or I had to I was trying to figure out how to time the breath with my like movements and the pleasure waves and it at first it was like felt a little dull while my body was learning like a new muscle memory and then all of a sudden like you said especially when in peaking practice sometimes women are used to like a clitoral orgasm that's more intense than when they start peaking but the more you peak the more you stretch your body's range of how much it can feel and then pretty soon the orgasms are intense they're very intensified and so are the peaks and so it can look like you're having multiple climaxes in a row when really you're just riding these huge waves of arousal in your body so i wanted to thank you for bringing that up because sometimes if you have expectations of how it should feel or what you want it to look like it can be a lesson in futility and in frustration because there's a natural process that your body will go through to wake up. And sometimes what happens is like a door opens to the grief that's buried under the surface. And that's what you experience for the first, you know, part of your awakening until the pleasure can come on a lot stronger. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's important. So if you're listening, be messy. Let yourself be messy. Okay. What is Tantra? Demystify it for us. Okay. Well, I will speak from my own experience because as you mentioned, the word means to weave and there are many lineages and there are many ancient lineages that kind of took sex out of it. And it was more for like the masters of those lineages to be practicing the sexual arts. And I feel very grateful for my teacher, Charles Muir, because he studied with his own tantrikas and woke himself up and has kind of passed along the knowledge that he gathered. And for me, tantra is that weaving. It is a weaving of our primal nature with our expanded states of consciousness, with the devotion in our heart. And really, it actually touches on every single chakra. 
So the kundalini energy sits in the base of our spine and it has two pathways up and down, the masculine and the feminine channels in the central channel of the Shishubna Nadi. And I think it has two activations. One is to activate the higher consciousness of our chakras and the other is purification. So the healing that needs to happen on the way to the awakenings. So each chakra has its own functionality in our life. To simplify it, they're not simple at all, but the root chakra is our foundation and it touches on money, safety, security, animal, nature, the primal parts of ourselves. Our second chakra is creativity and sexuality, desire, longing. Our power center is our third chakra and our belly button. And often there's guilt, shame, unworthiness, lack of deserving in the shadow. And in the positive side, it's willpower, confidence, identity, ego, and that kind of driving part of us that can take action to create something. Our heart is devotion, unconditional love, the service through the heart, giving and receiving. Our throat is expression and also listening. Our third eye is our extra sensory perception center, so our intuition. And our crown is our connection to the higher consciousness and higher power. And so if we light up our sexual energy, it can go up and down those nerve pathways through the spine and up the vagus nerve, and it starts to wake up our chakra system. And the weaving of our primal and our higher consciousness produces, and through the heart, produces, I think, people who can live in the duality of life, who don't need it to be one way, who can embrace polarity, and who who want to be conscious creators with the spiritual realms and to be in concert with that. And that's what I really see when I watch my students and I experience it in my own life, this connection with magic and connection with the deep knowing that comes from the body when we allow our felt sense to be on. In another podcast episode that I recorded a few weeks ago with a man named China McCarney, we talked about, you know, like, what is what is it that we want to be doing with our lives? And something that I feel so strongly is that, you know, we have these incredible bodies and to not experience all of the magic that they contain and everything that they're capable of feeling and experiencing feels like a disservice to whatever it is that's bigger than ourselves. You know, whether you're listening and you believe in God or you call a spirit or source or the quantum field or the universe in order to, I think, have connection with something greater, there has to be an acknowledgement and embodiment of what's happening here in this plane, which is this physical vehicle that we're moving through this human experience in. And being able to, I think, tap into that potential and start to grow in our capacity to feel pleasure within it is such a big part, I think, of honoring and devoting ourselves to something bigger. Completely. You said in Erotic Sovereignty all those months ago that you've yet to hit a ceiling in terms of your own body's potential to feel pleasure. 
And I'm curious if that's still the case. Like, are you still able to grow and your ability to feel more and more and more? Yes, absolutely. For me, it just, I hit new awakenings. Like I've had several sexual awakenings and each time it comes, I'm like, oh, wow, wow, there's more. Like, here we go. What is this ride? Um, And truly, like, you know, I have a devotional heart to practice. And I think that's what it comes down to. You know, when I was in one of the modalities I studied, we practiced four times a day. And there is an intersection of spirituality, sexuality, and meditation when you move into an embodied practice where there's a beginning, a middle, and an end, just like yoga, just like meditation, other forms of partner tantric practice. It's a playground for your body to expand and for your consciousness to expand in. And so as long as we are practicing, I have yet to find a place where I was like, oh, this is the Holy Grail. I've achieved it and there's nothing greater. I haven't. It just keeps getting better and I keep discovering new things. And and I wish that for my students and my clients also that they continue to practice and continue to allow their body to expand the pleasure capacity that is inside of them. I think a lot of people have an interesting relationship with that word, practice, and what it means to be committed to something like this, you know, whether it's a meditation practice or a sexual practice or, you know, any other of the number of ways everybody's into like the 5 a.m. club super morning routine thing right now. But the thing about practice is that, you know, you show up whether or not you feel like it, whether or not you want to. And something you mentioned earlier on in the episode is that if our bodies are these instruments, we have to be able to practice our scales and the ability to feel and the ability to feel more is not just something that you wake up with overnight, you know, in the same way that I gave that analogy, like looking down at your toes and saying, okay, toes stretch apart, toes move and nothing happening for a while, you have to do it consistently and continuously and even on the days when you're not necessarily feeling it. So can you perhaps give a little bit of advice to anyone listening who may be wanting to move into practices like these, but is in a season or having one of those days where it's like, but I just don't feel like it? Completely. I think you have really hit the nail on the head of of a very, I think, strong human trait, which is resistance. It is challenging to develop the discipline to show up and practice even when you don't want to. For me, it took kind of dismantling some of my own relationship with my inner masculine and feminine because I noticed that I would often rebel against rules I set for myself and my feminine would kind of rebel against the, the structure and the order of the day. And it wasn't until I really started to explore this idea of practice that I realized that my own masculine side can create structure so that my feminine side can expand and flourish. And so I kind of dismantle, I, I like to play games with myself psychologically sometimes if I'm hitting a spot of resistance. For instance, one year I was like sh- really shaming myself about exercise and I would show up to yoga 10 minutes late and I would be like, see, you're always going to be this way. You know, I was just playing a fucked up game with myself. 
And so I gave myself a new rule, which was that I wasn't allowed to exercise if I was approaching it from that self-loathing place. And so if I showed up to yoga, I would have to turn around and go home. If there was any of that, see, you're going to be fat if you don't X. And sure enough, then I started to find places where I enjoyed exercise. And that was my rule. I, I can only exercise if I enjoy it, if I'm enjoying pleasure doing it. And I found S-Factor dancing and I got in really great shape, but there was no more of that self-punishment in my discipline. So the same is true of sexual practice or meditation. I now make it like my masculine side's job to set time containers for me. So in the morning, I have usually two hours and I realize for some listeners, that's a luxurious amount of time. So any amount of time can be the perfect spot to begin with the morning practice. And so my morning practice is I sit and I meditate. So my masculine side sets the container of time. My feminine side gets to choose whatever practices I want to do. So it's always sitting meditation because I love it. And then I might pull my tarot cards or I might do self-pleasure practice or I might do some kind of movement. And the creativity that gets to be expressed in the choosing of the activities then is delightful rather than something to resist and rebel against. So that was how I kind of dismantled it for myself. There are still times when I'm like, oh, I'm in a mood. I don't want to practice. But I know enough now that every time I do practice, I feel better because sex energy is change energy. So it's breath work is simple breath work is going to be moving your sexual energy because it activates the vagus nerve. So it doesn't matter if you are stroking yourself or doing sensual movement or activating your breath. All of this is going to begin to expand your capacity for feeling pleasure in your body. And when the nervous system resets, which happens with the vagus nerve, you feel better. You're like, oh, wow, I, I have changed my state of being in 10 minutes. I can do that at will. That's so empowering. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So one last question before we close out for today, just because I would love to pick your brain forever selfishly, but I also am like, okay, I'm just going to enroll in the next uh, round of erotic sovereignty so that I can be in the seat of your student again. If there was one first step that you would recommend anyone take who is either experiencing numbness or wants to grow and expand in their body's potential to feel pleasure, what would it be? That's a great question. I do have a short three-hour class that's pre-recorded on my website called Sensual Alchemy. And we go through an awakening meditation through the chakras and then we do a self-pleasure practice and that's for women. And then erotic sovereignty obviously is, is an eight-week program where we go through the chakras in a, in a more expanded way and we do embodiment practices every week and we self-pleasure and it's, it's quite robust. And then for men, I would love to work with you privately because I do offer private sessions. So that's one way you can start, start the process. But the other thing I'll say is, and I've said this on other podcasts before, let your curiosity guide you because when you are starting off on a path of awakening, your higher self is in concert with you. Like it wants you to have what you want. So you might not notice 
oh, you know, I, I've, I've decided I want to explore my sexuality. And then you just see a Facebook ad or you, you know, your friend starts talking about something and you might have tuned out that entire conversation before, but because it's awake in you, you're going to start to see the signs everywhere. So follow the signs, follow those curiosities and start studying with teachers, pick up a good book, you know, listen to podcasts, go exploring and see what you can discover. Aside from erotic sovereignty, which you facilitate a few times a year, are there any other offerings or programs that you have coming up that the world should know about? Thank you so much for asking. Absolutely. I do have three pre-recorded classes on my website that you can find under the section self-guided study. And then I do have several programs. I have a festival for women coming up at the end of June. Um, it's called the Radiant Ecstasy Festival. I have a practitioner training coming up in June also, level two, with my friend Lourdes Pollock. I have another practitioner training, level one, coming up in September. And then Omrupani and I are teaming up to teach a six-month training for BDSM practitioners called the Modern Priestess of Eros. And then Erotic Sovereignty will start in August. So you can find all of that information on my website, laurenharkness.com, and you can find my Instagram at sensualalchemistress. Amazing. And all of those links are going to be in the show notes as well. So if you're listening, you'll have very easy access to them. Thank you so much for joining me today, Laura, and then talking nerdy to me. I'm so grateful for your time and your expertise. Thank you so much for having me. If you loved this episode, help us get it into the ears of more listeners like you by leaving a five-star review and subscribing on whatever platform you're listening on. When you share this episode on Instagram and tag me at Alex underscore Nashton for the month of June 2023, you'll be entered into a giveaway for the chance to win a 90-minute long coaching call with me. Each episode that you share and tag me in will lead to one entry, which means that you can share them all. This podcast, baby, is a labor of love for me. I'm not making any money on it. I just want to help get this life-changing and helpful information into as many brains as humanly possible. Last but not least, I want to thank Adam Russell for tirelessly supporting me physically and emotionally in the creation of this podcast. Adam is responsible for stringing together the epic intro and outro music, monitoring the sound quality, and is also the person I've called in the middle of the night, I can't even tell you how many times, when I've been freaking out about this podcast. Adam, you are a lifelong friend and a musical genius. I am so, so grateful to have you in my life, and I love you tremendously.